Deep dive into the world of science with Nature Plus. From the vastness of the distant star systems to the intricacies of infectious diseases due to climate change, we've got you covered. Enjoy access to over 55 cutting-edge journals, breaking scientific news, and over a 1,000 new articles every month. Whether you're a seasoned researcher or just curious, Nature Plus simplifies complex studies. Plus, it's all available right at your fingertips on nature.com. Nature Plus, the key to unlocking the world's most significant scientific advances. Subscribe today at go.nature.com plus. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Coronapod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic. Entering a new era now with new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns, and we've got a vaccine. Hello, and welcome to Coronapod. I'm Noah Baker, and joining me this week is veteran science reporter Phil Ball. Phil, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Noah. So, usually on Coronapod, we try to talk about stories which are as global as possible. We know that people from all over the world listen to Coronapod. And yet this week, we're going to focus very much on the UK, which is where Phil and I both are. And that's because much of the scientific world is currently looking at the UK because of the way our government is approaching public health policies. And Phil, you've written a story about that this week. Can you tell me what it is that we're talking about here? Yes. So the UK government's plan back in February was that there would be a sort of four-stage opening up or relaxation of what was then a full lockdown of the country. And we're now about to take step four of that program. It was going to be taken on the 21st of June, but it had to be delayed because the UK is having this very rapid spread of infection at the moment because of the Delta variant of the virus. But the government has decided that nevertheless, the time is right to relax essentially all remaining restrictions on distancing and mask wearing and, and so forth and to return, they say, to some kind of normality in the country at a time when, in fact, I've just seen today that the UK has the highest rate of infections in the world. There are something like 40,000 or more new infections being recorded each day. So it's, let's say, at least a very odd situation to be in that under circumstances that previously would have meant we needed to enter a lockdown, we're about to do exactly the opposite and open up the country. And so this is really an experiment and people from other countries are going to be watching very closely to see how it plays out. Indeed. And there's going to be a lot that we need to unpack here around why scientists are so interested, I suppose, the logic behind why the government is taking this decision now. We should point out for people outside of the UK, the UK is a slightly complicated country. It's a kingdom of several countries. So this is the UK government, the sort of central government of the UK has made this decision. However, these changes apply to England specifically. The Scottish, Northern Irish and Welsh governments also have autonomy over their public health policies to an extent. So much of what we're going to discuss here in terms of restriction lifting applies to England specifically. 
And so in terms of what those restriction lifts are, tell us what it is that is the sort of final stage of unlocking, I suppose, because there is a degree of sort of freedom in inverted commas that I'm going to use very advisedly here that already exists in terms of being able to mix with people. What's the sort of last stage that they've announced in England now? Yeah, we're very much not in lockdown and haven't been for the past several weeks. But there are still some businesses that have restrictions or that haven't been able to open up fully and certainly places like, you know, theatres and nightclubs and so on, where there's a lot of potentially a lot of people close together. You know, there have been restrictions on them or they've had to remain closed. Restaurants, too, have had restrictions on them. And there has still been the requirement of a 1.5 metre social distancing in any sort of public spaces. And in particular, wearing of masks has been mandated in public spaces. Those restrictions are all going. So essentially, there is there is almost nothing now to legally prevent people from resuming life as before, from going to pack nightclubs, from going to you know music concerts and theatres and so forth, and for travelling on public transport without any legal obligation to wear masks. So the notion is that this is a kind of return to normality. And yet most people, scientists included, would expect that return to normality to happen at a time when case rates were low, vaccinations rates were high. There are sort of four tests that the government has laid out as the tests it needs to pass to be able to lift those restrictions. And yet that doesn't appear to be the case. Well, the thing that is making this even conceivable at all is the vaccines, because the UK has had a very successful rollout of vaccinations. It was for a while, it was ahead of pretty much all of the rest of the world in the the speed with which uh, vaccinations were happening in the population. Now, a lot of areas of the world have more or less caught up. But It is still only at a stage where only just over 50% of the population has had a double dose of the vaccine. Um, Something like 68, 70% have, have had a single dose. And we know that these vaccines seem to offer good protection against getting serious COVID. So hospitalization, for example, with the AstraZeneca vaccine, there seems to be just over 90% protection with a double vaccination against hospitalisation with COVID. So, you know, that's pretty good. And certainly without that, it would be utterly inconceivable to be able to um, open at this time. When we had these levels of infection in the winter, things were terrible. Hospitalisations were at a very high level. There were lots of deaths happening. Those statistics are at least 10 times lower now. There's a 10 times lower rate of hospitalisation. So, you know, it's very clear that the vaccines have severely weakened the link between infection and hospitalisation. But nevertheless, some vaccinated people will be infected and there are plenty of unvaccinated people, particularly younger people. And there's a lot of spread happening in people under 18, in school children. And there's a big discussion about whether they should be vaccinated, but they're not at the moment. And so there's still a lot of potential for the virus to spread. And that's what we're seeing at the moment. Absolutely. We talked last week on Coronapod about whether or not coronavirus in the future could become a disease of the young for very much this reason. I'm interested to know, you know, we mentioned at the beginning that scientists are looking at this to some extent like a bit of an experiment. This decision to relax public health policies at a time when infections are soaring really doesn't follow the kind of playbook that we would expect from public health experts. What is it the scientists are particularly looking at here? Why is it that they see this as a kind of an experiment? Well, one issue that's being much discussed is whether the idea is that because young people are at a much lower risk of getting seriously ill, 
from COVID-19. It does happen among the young, but it's much lower. One concern that scientists have is that actually the plan is to achieve herd immunity, to reach this point where enough of the population has got immunity in one way or another so that the virus doesn't spread, with a mixture of vaccination for those who have got it already and natural infection for those who haven't and who seem less likely to be seriously affected by it. If so, I mean, that's a strategy that I don't think anyone has uh, advocated or tried before, the idea that you would permit, perhaps even encourage, natural infection of a disease like this in order to achieve herd immunity. You know, it's just something unprecedented. And many scientists think that that is a deeply unethical thing to do. And I think it's worth mentioning that this potential sort of herd immunity strategy, which, you know, again, is not what the government has specifically said, but is what some people are speculating that they might be doing. It's not clear whether or not herd immunity is something that can be reached for this virus. And so whether or not that is a scientifically valid plan even though it may not officially be the plan, is also something that's in question. It absolutely is, yes. You know, we have seen, for example, some regions of Brazil that had you know, very, very high rates of population infection, sort of 70, more than 70%, and still no sign of herd immunity being reached. And it's really not clear that there is a clear threshold where you will get to that. Of course, fundamentally, it doesn't surprise me that scientists and public health experts are concerned about the possible consequences of less Letting the virus run, especially among younger people, and especially given the sort of lack of knowledge that we have about things like long COVID, about how it might impact people more broadly. But there is another concern, which is potentially considerably more worrisome than I think there's actually a quote in your story that says something like, you know, compared to deaths and infections, which are obviously bad, this is vastly more worrying. And that's when we take into account the possibility of new variants. Can you tell me what it is that the concern is there? Yeah, I mean, this is potentially really scary. Some of these new variants, the Delta variant, and it seems probably the Lambda variant that was first seen in Peru, have a greater ability than earlier forms of the virus to evade the vaccines. The vaccines are less effective against them. They still do a fair job, but clearly this is a virus that is able to evolve forms that have have some degree of vaccine escape or vaccine evasion. The real concern is that some variant might appear that has really significant vaccine escape that perhaps even renders the vaccines more or less useless. And the conditions that would encourage this to happen are precisely the ones that we are already sort of seeing appear in the UK. So those conditions are that you have a widespread uh, rate of infection, there's a lot of virus about, and there's a big pool for mutations to arise in a population that is partially vaccinated, so that there is a selective pressure for variants that are able to evade the vaccine. And this is what virologists have said to me. That is the real concern, that these are actually the perfect conditions to create a vaccine evading variant. You know, one said to me, if you let this happen, where do you go from there? We're right back to square one. If the vaccines don't work, we're right back to lockdowns while we have to retool vaccines to cope with these new variants. And we won't necessarily know how to do that. It won't necessarily be straightforward. It will certainly take time. So that's why everyone is watching the UK. If we cook up within the UK a vaccine evading virus, that's going to be everywhere in the world. 
very, very quickly. And we have seen that happen, you know, not through vaccine evasion, but the alpha variant, the B117 variant that originally arose actually in Kent, the particular part of the UK that I'm currently sitting in, then very quickly became the dominant variant across the world. You know, the UK has already exported variants in that way. And it is, I suppose, kind of evolution, natural selection 101, the way that this works. You know, you have both mass replication, which gives lots of opportunities for mutation to arrive, and a selection pressure. Those two things which relatively simply concern virologists really significantly. I'm really interested in what scientists from other places, not the UK, are thinking about this. You know, does the WHO have anything to say about it, for example? Well, the WHO so far has avoided specifically talking about what is happening. I think they've been quite diplomatic in not referring explicitly to what's happening in the UK and the decisions that have been made. But it seems to me that some of the comments are certainly alluding to that and to the dangers that it runs so far in particular in relation to this notion that by opening up in a situation like this, you're essentially saying we know the virus is going to explode, that it's going to take off when we remove the remaining measures. We know that there's going to be widespread infection. It's not explicitly sort of encouraging that to happen, but it certainly is a allowing it to happen. And the WHO has essentially said that is an unethical thing to do. It makes no epidemiological sense and it makes no moral sense. Do we know that that's what's going to happen when the final restrictions are going to be lifted? There's going to be explosions of cases. I mean, I suppose, what evidence do we have from elsewhere in the world that that is what we can expect? Well, first of all, we expect this to happen because of the modelling that's been done. So various UK teams have run models to see what the effects of removing the restrictions will be. And it's clear that there's going to be this wave that we now see taking off is going to continue into the summer and it's going to get worse. And it's very hard to model this situation because without any restrictions, so much depends on what people choose to do on individual behaviour. And that's much harder to predict than when we're actually not allowed to do things. So the models have to consider a range of possible behavioural responses to this. Um, But all of them pretty much show that there's going to be a big wave. There could be a significant rate of hospitalisation. Some have even suggested, and one modeller has said to me that he's concerned that there could be a situation where the hospitalisations threaten to overwhelm the National Health Service here. You know, that's not something that could be ruled out, even with the vaccines. But as well as those models, we do actually have some indication from what's happening elsewhere, because the Netherlands has very recently done something rather similar. So at the end of June, on the 26th of June, it decided to remove remaining restrictions, allow things like nightclubs to open. And what we saw there, I mean, it's even more alarming than the UK. Infections are rising sharply here, but in the Netherlands, they just shot up almost vertically, so alarmingly that the Dutch government has had to step back again and impose further restrictions, which it has very recently done to try to bring this under control. So, you know, there does seem to be very good empirical reason to believe that we're going to see something similar here. And I think there is definitely, you know, just as a UK citizen listening to the announcements and watching the government announcements, there does seem to be a shift in the way this is being communicated. There's a lot of discussion of this is something we just have to learn to live with now. And we have Sajid Javid, the health secretary, saying that they do fully expect by August to be up to 100,000 cases a day. And we do expect there to be hospitalizations going up. The government doesn't appear to be pretending that they don't think this is going to have an impact. They do think it's going to have an impact, but they're now sending this message of that is an impact that we have to learn to live with because, you know, the economic and social 
consequences of keeping these restrictions in place are just too high and the, you know the cost benefit has gone the other direction it's interesting that there has been i think particularly over the last week there has been a slight shift in that messaging and my impression is that it's because there has been such a, an amount of alarm raised by scientific experts and public health experts that the government is realizing that actually we need to tread much more carefully. So to begin with, it very much was this message that we just have to learn to live with the virus. We're going to be given back our freedoms, as it was put. And it was very much sort of hailed as, I mean, it's going to become dubbed Freedom Day on the uh, Monday the 19th when these restrictions are due to all be lifted. Now the Prime Minister, certainly Boris Johnson, seems to be adopting a much more cautious tone and trying to really, I think, implore people to not act as though suddenly you can do anything and to you know remain careful they have said it's a very curious sort of phrasing that while mask wearing will no longer be mandatory they expect it in public places quite how you enforce an expectation i don't know but it's clear that they're concerned and you know of course restrictions lockdowns in particular but all restrictions have caused all sorts of problems for the economy in particular, for businesses. Many businesses are on the point of going bust or, or have done already. Small businesses that rely on footfall, on people coming in. That, you know, there have been all sorts of concerns about how the restrictions have affected mental health, the impacts that they've had on other medical services, on education in particular. So no one denies that there are real problems in having restrictions in place. And the question is about how to find the right balance. So as you mentioned, legal restrictions are being lifted, but there is this kind of message that's coming from the government now about what they expect people to do. Do you have a sense you know, I suppose from people that you've spoken to or just from your own experience of being, you know, a British citizen of how you expect the public to react to these legal liftings, I suppose. Well, what what we've seen throughout the pandemic so far is actually a good rate of compliance with the measures that have been imposed. You know, I think sometimes we get a distorted message from the fact that there are some very vocal and prominent people who are lockdown sceptics and question the value of mask wearing and so forth. But I think on the whole, the public have responded well. And I suspect that they will continue to do so um, and that many will remain cautious, will continue to wear masks, will probably continue to carry out some degree of social distancing, partly because you know, we've got used to this. And I think people know that that's in their best interests. Certainly, there are concerns about how this will affect vulnerable people, for example, with compromised immune systems, who will no longer be able to take it for granted that people will be behaving in this way. Um, and so it will be much harder for them to feel trusting of using public transport and so on. But I think that the real problem is that the messaging that they've received has been so conflicting and so confusing that, you know, initially this idea that we were going to all be free and then suddenly the, all these messages about caution and so on. And what behavioural scientists have said again and again throughout this pandemic is that the messaging really has to be clear and transparent such that people can take informed decisions themselves. If they have the information they need, I think most people will actually behave sensibly and cautiously. But it really depends on good messaging. And sadly, that's also what we haven't really seen happening in the UK so far. 
Yes, indeed. And we should point out that just because the governmental advice or the legal framework changes doesn't mean that there isn't the possibility of introducing restrictions on a smaller scale. So, for example, mask wearing is going to continue being mandated on London public transport, for example, because that's something that's under the jurisdiction of the London mayor. And individual companies and organisations could also require mask wearing within their shops, for example, if they wanted to. So it's possible that just because the Freedom Day happens, and again, I use those inverted commas, that doesn't mean that necessarily the whole of England is going to immediately open up. No, that's absolutely right. And to be honest, I think that actually that was what the government was partly counting on, that, you know, they don't want to be seen to be held uh, responsible for imposing mask wearing. But I think they recognise that they want it to continue. And so they're allowing other organisations and institutions like London Transport to, if you like, take the responsibility on themselves to impose these measures. We've had quite a lot of doom and gloom and nervousness and warnings about what scientists are thinking here. Is there a positive outlook as well? Are you are you getting any, is it only negative and worry that you're getting from researchers when you're speaking to them? Or are there researchers saying, you know, it's possible that this is a gamble that could pay off? Well, I mean, you know, there are people who are saying it's time to be thinking of which restrictions we can relax. It may be if the vaccines are able to keep hospitalizations low, then for a lot of people, there will be more freedoms that they can enjoy. But things are going to get tough. You know, I think that no one doubts that things are going to get tougher before they get any better. So I'm afraid... (laughs) It's very hard to find positives other than the fact that so far the vaccines seem to be holding out and that ultimately, um, you know, if we can avoid creating more vaccine evasion, then ultimately they are going to enable us to return to some degree of normality. But I don't see that happening, certainly for the rest of this year. A real word of warning there. So I suppose we've got a couple more days before this unlocking happens. We're certainly going to be watching these curves very, very closely, as I'm sure will scientists and the government, and we'll have to see what happens next. But for now, Phil, thank you so much. It's been really great to have you on. And I hope that I'm not speaking to you with even more grave news in a few weeks' time. Thank you, Noah. Me too, yes. The Nature Podcast is supported by Nature Plus a flexible monthly subscription that grants immediate online access to the science journal Nature and over 50 other journals from the Nature portfolio. More information at go.nature.com plus. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.